Sweet. How y'all guys doing? Yeah? Y'all look good. Y'all sounded really good, too. Um, Thank you, Justin and worship team. Sorry, I don't know all of your names, but, you know, that's what happens when discipleship takes place. You leave for three years, and you come back, and you don't know anyone because more people are being ushered into the kingdom of God. Um, So, as Heath said, my name is Andrea Brown. I go by Andy. Um, I attended Angelo State in 2009 from 2014. That's right. I graduated as a super senior. I loved it. I loved college so much. I loved studying so much that I decided to take a victory lap. And I ended up getting a double major in psychology and sociology. Um, and so it's not, it's not that hard, I promise. But um, if you study, you'll, you'll be fine. You'll pass, you'll graduate with zero debt, and then you can come to the mission field. And we can work together. But um, so I attended Angela State University from 2009 to 2014. Um, and during that time frame, I got to lead a small group here with Angela State Chi Alpha for the about four or five years before I felt the Lord was um, calling me up in ministry and I left to go to San Antonio. And so um, this is going on about six, seven years that I've been really good friends with Heath and Ashley and Justin and Kayla and Sam Smith and some other people in this room and Alexis. Um, And so if there's one thing that I can say about the friendships that I formed with Heath and Ashley and Justin and his wife is that they're one, authentic, and they're intentional. Um, I know you guys don't realize this now because you're just getting started with your collegiate career, but please, please, please don't take this time for granted. Um, There's absolutely no place like home. And so um, with that being said, as I previously said, I came to Chi Alpha in 2009. Um, Give you a little bit of backstory. I grew up in a Christian home. Um, In fact, my parents have loved the Lord since the day before I was born. And because of their devotion to Jesus, I ended up coming to know Jesus at a very young age. And so, um, college, middle school, loved the Lord, tried to serve him to the best of my abilities. Um, And then I get to my senior year in high school, and I literally break down crying in the middle of my college algebra class, in the middle middle of my um, pre-cal class at Cooper High School in Abilene, Texas. I know I was dramatic as an 18-year-old. It's okay. You grow out of it. I promise. But I started crying and I started freaking out because for the first time in my life, I realized that I was going to have to take responsibility for my faith outside of my friendships that I had and away from my family. And it absolutely terrified me. And so my best friend at the time, her name is Stephanie Hamm. She's probably like five foot, like 120 pounds on a good day, took me outside, and she was like, Brown, pull yourself together, and like started shaking me, and she was like, why are you doing this? Like, why are you freaking out? I was like, Stephanie, you don't understand. Like, I've never had to live out my faith without my friends and my family. Like, I've never had to do it outside of my comfort zone, and she looked me in my eyes, and she made this promise to me, and she was like, we're going to study the book of Proverbs, and we're going to call each other once a week, and we're going to just be committed to each other until we can find real community um, at the camp- at the colleges that we go to. And so after that initial conversation with her, I spent my whole entire senior year praying that the Lord would help me find good community at Angela State University, and that also he would give me the strength to follow him through my college years. And so that's kind of the start of my discipleship story. I met a woman by the name of Kimberly Sides, back then, now in because she's been married. I know that names mean, you guys can go ahead and put that picture up of me, Kim, and Alicia. Is that? Yeah, sweet. Okay, so Kim is the woman in the pink shirt. That's me, and that is Alicia Powell. 
Um, I met Kim in the fall of 2009, and she didn't want anything to do with the Lord whatsoever. Um, we go on spring break. I see her again, and she's like a completely different person. Like, she's freaking out. She's like, hi, I'm Kim. Like, you're Andy, right? Like, I love you. I remember you. Like, let's be friends. And I'm just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, you're out of 10. I need you to, like, bring that down to a two. Like, this is, like, a little bit much. Like, what's going on? And come to find out, the woman in the black shirt, Alicia, saw Kim and befriended her and discipled her and led her to Jesus. And it freaked me out because I had never seen that happen in my entire life. I grew up going to church. I grew up in a very sincere Christian home. But no one ever told me that the call for Christians was to disciple people. I was taught that if I lived a good moral life, that that was my discipleship tool and that that's how I would win people to the gospel. But how many of you know that Jesus did live a good life, but he also preached and taught people too? Um, And so, where am I at? Sorry, lost my place. Okay, so... Met Kim, knew that something was different about her, and this stirring started to happen, like, in my heart and in my soul. And I was just like, Jesus, Lord, like, you know I love you. You know I have a relationship with you. And you know I want to grow closer to you, but I can't help but notice the difference between Kim and me. And I'm trying to figure out, like, what this is. Like, why is she so happy? Why is she so different? Why is there this, lack of a better word, like, maturity about her that I didn't have? And it came down to discipleship, and that's kind of what, like, that's what I wanted to talk with y'all about tonight. And so, real quick, um, is it okay if we get, like, some audience participation, like, involvement in here? I have a couple Bible verses that I would like someone to volunteer and read, and the first one is Luke 19.10. And if you got it, just raise your hand and, like, stand up and read it for us real quick. Anyone Luke 19.10? It's okay. You can turn your phones on. I can wait. It doesn't matter. Just stand up and read it, read it like you mean it. Who's that? Who are y'all pointing to in the back? Cody! Cody! Can you read Luke 19.10 for me, please? Amen. Okay, can someone else volunteer or be voluntold to read Matthew 28, 18 through 20? Yeah, you in the front. Stand up. Yes, ma'am. It's okay. You're fine. No, don't be nervous. Amen. Can we give a hand clap for our friends who stood up and read the word of God? Okay. So I picked these verses because they specifically talk about why Jesus came. And they also talk about what the Lord expects of us. And that's to be discipled and to disciple other people. So the simple truth is that discipleship is taking responsibility for what is precious to the heart of God. I'll say it again, just in case if you guys um, didn't have a chance to write it down. The simple truth is discipleship is taking responsibility for what is close to the heart of God. Okay, so based off the scriptures that we just read, what's close to the heart of God? Who said it? What did you say? Huh? Say it louder? Say it for the people in the back. People. Amen. People. People are close to the heart of God. Among other things, what is precious to God is people. And you see this truth. See, this is the same truth that drove Alicia Powell to talk to Kim and to be her friend and to have conversations with her that pointed to Jesus. And because Alicia did that for Kim, Kim saw me 
And she was like, I want to be that girl's friend. And Kim discipled me. And so we see that the call of discipleship isn't just for one person. It's for everyone. Alicia discipled Kim. Kim discipled me. I discipled Peyton. And Peyton discipled Sarah DeLorenzo, which some of you may know her. Yeah, she's awesome. She's getting ready to go to grad school, so y'all pray for her. Um, Seriously, grad school's hard. And so this simple truth of the kingdom in relation to that is just that is just simply this. You can't be missional without being a disciple maker. And you can't be a disciple maker without being missional. The two go hand in hand. And I say that because you guys just got back from your spring break mission trips, which from the pictures I can tell were really awesome. And then some of you are learning how to be small group leaders right now. And then some of you are going to go on to mission. Some of you are going to go overseas on mission trips this summer. And the heart of missions is just simply what we read in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. It's to teach Jesus to every tribe, to every nation, to every tongue, because he deserves what he suffered for. And so if we can turn to Acts 2, verse 37 real quick, and I can read this one off because it's kind of long. Man, everyone, y'all don't don't have like paper, like Bibles anymore? Y'all just have to turn your Bibles on now? Okay, cool. Millennials, hashtag what's up? Okay, so Acts 2. Okay, so let me guys get, let me give you guys a little bit of context first. So in Acts 2, um, this is the, this is the part of uh, Acts where after Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, he's baptized in the Holy Spirit, he goes on to preach a message where 3,000 people get saved, like in that instant, at the time of his message. Um, and that's really, really cool because if you know about Peter before and how Peter's life changed after the Lord reinstated him and after he got filled with the Holy Spirit, he's a completely different person. So much so that, as I said earlier, he preached and 3,000 people got saved. And um, I think it's beautiful because on this side of heaven, we'll never know the effects of Peter's obedience to Lord to the Lord when he said, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, Peter, feed my sheep. And so um, just to save some time, we're going to start off in verse 37. And it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off and for all whom the Lord God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And so my next point is that there has to be repentance before you can be a disciple. And so the word repentance and when you go back and you look in it and you look at it in its Greek form, and just shameless plug, um, a great tool to study the Bible is Blue Letter Bible. It's an app now, so you can just download the app, type in whatever um, reference or whatever word you want to look up, and it literally pulls up like dozens upon dozens of places where that word is actually used, and it gives you an outline of biblical definitions and usage for that word. It's incredible. Um, and so, in this particular in- instance. The word repentance in the Greek is called metanoia. Do they have that on? Yes, they have it on the screen. So it's called metanoia, and the word literally means to change your mind. So if I can have a volunteer 
come up on the stage real quick. Don't be shy. Yeah, come on. What's your name? Brayden. I'm Andy. It's nice to meet you. Okay, so Brayden and I, come closer. It's okay. Stand in front of me. Okay, turn around. Face the other way. Okay, now walk forward. Just keep going. All right, stop. So Brayden has chosen to walk with his back facing me, all right? Repentance is when you change your mind and you change your attitude. So Brayden, turn around and walk towards me. Okay, stop. High five. Good job. That is repentance. Repentance is changing your mind and your actions. When you are walking with your back towards God, when you repent, you walk with your face towards him. When you're looking at the Lord's hand, repentance means you're looking at his heart. And you stop coming to God for what, he can get, for what you can get from him and for what you can do from him. And so, in verse 42, where he says that the apostles devoted themselves to the teachings, to, they devoted themselves to the teachings, and, to the teachings of the apostles, sorry, to, the fellowship, to fellowship and to the breaking of bread, I noticed three things that we as disciples need to devote ourselves to. So the first one is that as disciples of Jesus, we have to be devoted to the teachings of Christ. As disciples of Jesus, we have to be devoted to the teachings of Christ. So how many of you know that you can't talk about something that you don't know? You know what I'm saying? Like you can't tell someone about someone that you don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like Heath can get up on stage and testify about my character because he knows my character because we've been friends for so long. I can get up and testify about Alexis's character because we've been friends for so long, because there's a real relationship there. And if we want to be discipled, if we want to be disciples of Jesus and to disciple other people into this Christian faith, we have to know who Jesus is, and we can only do that by reading the Word of God and studying the Gospels. The second thing we as disciples need to be devoted to is the community of Christ. And basically what that means is that for us in this context, it's the local church. There's an African proverb that says, if you want to go somewhere quickly, you go alone. But if you want to go far, you go together. You know what I'm saying? Christians were never meant to live life on their own. There is no such thing as a lone wolf Christian. There isn't. There isn't. In the biblical context, we don't see that. The the apostles were in constant fellowship with Jesus before he died. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, they were constantly in fellowship with Jesus after they died and after he ascended into heaven, and they were constantly in fellowship with each other. There is safety in numbers, and there's provision in community. A Christian without a church is an orphan. And the third thing that we as disciples need to be devoted to is intimacy with Christ. So intimacy, um, I heard Heath break down in the sermon like seven years ago um, when I was still kind of a punk and running around and thought I knew what I was doing with my life. He basically said that intimacy means into me you see. Jesus has opened himself up. There is, how many of you know that the Lord is not the Lord of confusion? Amen? He's not the Lord of chaos. He has laid out, he has made things easy for us to follow them, like We can read the Bible, we can understand his word, we can understand his heart, we can understand what he's saying, we can understand his expectations, we can understand him, which is mind-boggling to me. But, so that being said, how many of you know that the Lord wants you to succeed in life? Amen? Like, the Lord wants you to be healthy, the Lord wants you to grow into maturity. 
Um, a dear, dear friend at UTSA Kaiapa, where I work, said that when his children was born, when he first held his daughter, there was nothing more perfect or more pure in his life. And I believe that's what the father sees whenever he sees someone come to salvation. It's like this precious, precious soul that's finally just like, okay, like I have my baby back. But how many of you know that salvation isn't the end of our race, it's the start of it? Like salvation isn't the end, it's the beginning. And so that said, um, my friend, when he was talking about his daughter, he said, as excited as I am, or as excited as I was about having a little girl, I was more excited about watching her grow. You know what I mean? He was more excited about seeing her learn to walk, about hearing her learn to talk, about hearing about her learning how to communicate with him as a child should learn to communicate with their father. And that's the Lord's heart. Um, what, do you, what, are, what do you think is the most precious sound in the world to the Lord, aside from salvation? Anyone? I'm sorry? What did you say? That's a good answer. That is, yeah, that's true. Surrender. Anybody else? What's up? Y'all don't have to be shy. Prayer? Okay. Worship? That's good. Anyone? So we have surrender. We have prayer. We have worship, which is awesome. I genuinely, like, those please the Lord's heart. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, the Lord is excited when people come to salvation. The Lord is excited when his children talk to him. The Lord is excited when people worship him. But I am convinced that nothing makes the Lord happier than having a table that's been prepared for us where all of his children can gather around. You know what I'm saying? The holiday seasons, I'm not going to lie, they've been hard for the past couple years, but they're precious because my family is together. And we're all under one roof. We're all enjoying each other. We're all laughing, and there's joy, and there's fellowship, and there's tears, but we're all together. And that's the heart of God. So the Lord wants you to succeed at being a disciple maker. But the catch is we need humility to do that. And I say that because the Lord can't meet you where you are and the Lord can't empower you where you are if we don't tell him where we are. And so um, there's in Luke chapter 15, it's the story of the prodigal. And it's verses 11 through 32. And for time's sake, I'm going to read it real quick. Um, So turn your phones on again, and let's read the word of God. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him any. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and I have sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him 
and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you and again, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So he began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what's going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry, angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you've never even yet you've never gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fat and calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so I read this story because if I can be honest with you guys, I was the older brother. I had grown up in church, I had been walking with the Lord, and I knew about God, but I didn't know his heart. I mean, not really, not in a way that really mattered for eternity's sake. And I didn't get a glimpse of that until I met Kim and Alicia and Heath and Ashley and Landon and Sarah and so on and so forth to all the original OGs of Chi Alpha. And so I wanted to point out three things real quick before I continue on with my story. And it's that simply this. The first one is that both sons lived with their father. The second point is that both sons, despite living with their dad, didn't know him rightly. And the third point is that only one repented. And he repented because he caught his father's heart. You see, in Middle Eastern culture in that day, it was shameful for a man to be running, let alone to be running after someone who had basically just said, hey, dad, I don't really care about you. Roll over and die. Give me my inheritance so I can go do what I want. That's basically what the younger brother, the youngest son, said to his father was roll over and die. And this is a sermon in and of itself, but the father actually granted the son's wish, which I'm not going to get into that right now, but um, sorry. In the story, we see that the father saw his son while he was still a long way off, and he went out and ran to him. How many of you know that that didn't happen on accident? It's not like the father woke up one day and was like, oh, my son's not here. Let me go to the neighborhood and check around and see if I can find him. No, like his dad was out there every day looking for him. His dad was out there asking, where's my boy? Have you seen my son? Do you know how he's doing? He was out there every day looking for his son. But it's interesting because the older brother wasn't. You know what I mean? How many of you in here, you have younger people in your life that you love? I do. I have, I have two nieces and a nephew from my sister. 
And you bet your bottom dollar if I find out something happens to them, like, Lord, forgive me, but I might burn the state of California down. You know what I'm saying? Like, there is nothing that I wouldn't do. There is nothing that I wouldn't give to get to them to make sure that they're safe. And I'm not even a mom. Like, that scares me. Like, they're not even, like, like I didn't even, like, have, like, birth them or anything. But that's the power of love. And that's the power of the Father's love to us. But what should have happened was the older brother should have been out there looking for his younger brother. We should be out there looking for our brothers and sisters who have alienated themselves from God. I should have been out there looking for my brothers and sisters in my high school and my middle school who had alienated themselves from God, but I didn't. I didn't. And I wasted those years, and I'm begging you not to do that. You're only going to be here, hopefully, most of you are going to graduate in four years. I don't know, we might have some super-duper seniors that graduate in seven or eight, you know what I'm saying? Like, whatever you got to do to graduate debt-free, like, by all means, do it. Um, And that's okay to say in church because God cares about your finances, you know what I'm saying? Proverbs says that the... That the debtor is slave to the lender, and the Lord doesn't want you to be enslaved to anything anymore. He came to break that chain over your life. But the fact remains that the older brother didn't go out and get his son. And then when we continue to read further on, he goes up to the house, and he calls one of the servants. And the servant explains to him what's happened. And I think it's interesting because we see for the first, like, I just, I read this a couple days ago over our spring break mission trip. And for the, it was like, do you ever like read the Bible and you're just like, there's no way that that has been there the whole entire time. Like someone stole my Bible, plagiarized it, like wrote this scripture in, like there's no way I've been reading this for like five, 10, whatever, how many years you've been reading it and like have not seen this. That one of those instances happened to me. And it happened to me because we have the motivation for why the father celebrated his youngest son's return. And it's simply this. Because he had him back safe and sound. The Lord didn't celebrate his son's return because he was condoning sin. The Lord didn't celebrate his son's return because he was apathetic to his situation. Or to the, I'm sure, the grief that the loss of his younger son caused him and his family. The Lord celebrated his return because he had him back safe and sound. And what does the older brother do? He gets mad like a jerk. Like, seriously, he's just like, I've been slaving for you this whole entire time. You've never given me this. You've never given me that. But even in the midst of that argument, you can tell that there's still genuine love and genuine connection there because the Father hears him out. One of my favorite verses is in Revelation 15. I think it's chapter 3. And it just simply talks about how whenever we're with the Lord, we'll sing the songs of Moses And the deeds that he has done. And sometimes I wonder, like, is anyone going to sing about what I did when I was in high school, when I was in middle school? You know what I mean? Like, did I have good enough relationships? Did I have good enough connections with people? Did I know enough about Jesus that I could teach them about who he was and how to walk in his ways for the rest of their life? We should be out there with our father looking for him. We should be. Alicia went out and looked for Kim, and she found her. Kim went out and looked for me, and Katie used to be Finley, now Wilt, and she found her. 
I went out and looked for Peyton, and I found her. Peyton went out and looked for Sarah, and she found her. And because Alicia met Kim, because Kim met me and Katie, we know what it means to not only be a Christian, but to walk with the Lord faithfully for the rest of our lives. We know the life of Jesus. We know how to invite people into our lives, and we know how to talk and teach about him rightly. Because Kim laid down her life for us. Because Kim went and looked for us. Because Kim loved us. Mostly because Jesus loved him. Because, you know, salvation comes from the Lord. And so, just real simply, I just wanted to end with this. And it's 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 through 20. Some of you are going to know it, I hope. Because it's kind of our motto around here. And it says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to him through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we beg you, be reconciled back to God. That is the life of a Christian. It's of constant discipleship. You're constantly being discipled by other people, and you're constantly looking for other people to tell Jesus to, to be discipled by people. And so, I wanted to end with this, by giving us all a chance to be right with God tonight. You see... Both sons lived with their father. Both sons didn't have a right view of their father. But only one son came back to their father because he finally had a realization of the father's heart towards him. And as I mentioned earlier, I grew up in a very, very, very good home. So much and so that I know no matter what, I can always look my parents in their eyes. I have such good friends here in Heath and Ashley that I can always look them in their eyes. And I want to tell you tonight that no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, you can always look Jesus in his eyes. You can always look Jesus in his eyes. And so, tonight, if you identify, well, hold on. So it's interesting that the prodigal came to the realization of his father because a famine broke out. How many of you know a famine's not fun? You know what I mean? Like, it's not fun to struggle. It's not fun to hurt. It's not fun to go through trials. But it's through those seasons that we come to know God rightly. One, because it, get, it brings us to the end of ourselves. And secondly, because it forces us to look at God in his eyes. And so tonight, if you're the prodigal, I would implore you, I would encourage you, I'd get on my knees and I would beg you to be right with your father. And you can just do that simply by repenting of any known sin in your life and confessing and thanking Jesus as Lord. If you're the older sibling, I would implore you, I would beg you, I would get on my knees and try to convince you to repent and pray for a new value for what the father values. And that's people. So our friend that got up on the stage early and prayed specifically for hurting people in this room. I really do believe that that was from the Lord. And I want to tell you 
that I can relate to being hurt, seemingly hurt by God. I can relate to feeling like he can't be trusted. I can relate to feeling like, God, is it even worth following you anymore? And I'm here to tell you today that it is. It always is. And so if you're in a place of brokenness, if you're in a place of hurt, I would strongly say that the Lord is asking you to look up to him. Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes into the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It's not until you look rightly at God that you will see God rightly. It's not until you look rightly at God that you will see him move in your life. And so just really simply, as the band begins to play again, um, I'm a huge fan of doing things out in the open. Um, Jesus never hid anything from us in ministry. And so if you identify with the prodigal tonight and you want to be right with the Lord, I would just encourage you to grab a friend. We're all friends in this room. You're in this room because you know and you love and trust someone. And I would just encourage you to grab them and to come up to the right-hand side and just get right with your father tonight. And if you identify like the, with the older brother like I did, I would encourage you to come up to the front with a friend, with somebody you love and trust, and to get right with God tonight. And so I'm going to pray us out. These altars are open.